I've always loved that song, and for whatever reason, I've always connected it with our, our armed forces. I always imagine them hearing that song and, and thinking about those in particular who would be home for Christmas and also those who would desire to be home and, and, and what that would do to them and the hope that it would bring. There, there is a strong motivation that is created by the power of hope. Hope stirs the imagination. Hope fuels our emotion. Hope directs our activities. And so when you have hope, you have something very powerful that is at work. And Christmas, Christmas has the power to give hope. The question I want you and I to deal with this morning, something I want to see uh, about me and see about you, is this. What kind of hope does Christian, uh, Christmas give us? All hope is good, but not all hope is the same. Hope that won't last. Hope that is temporary, what I would call dying hope. It's good, but there's something better. The best hope is living hope. Now, dying hope is a hope that will end once a temporal thing has run its course. Living hope is hope that will never end because it is built on what is eternal and life-giving. Jesus came to bring living hope. We read about this living hope in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. I think it's on the screen. Read this out loud together with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, Let's think about what this living hope is and what it is not. It is a new life. It is not a better old life. Think about that. It is a new life. It's just not an augmentation of your old life. It's just not a better old life. It is a new life. It is imperishable. Living hope is imperishable. It is not temporary. It sustains. It remains. It is undefiled. That is, it is not sinful in any way. Living hope, pure and undefiled. It is unfading. It never fails. It always remains and it always remains just as strong as it ever was. And it is guarded. Living hope is never in danger. It is guarded by God, and, and, and through faith, this, this living hope sustains us and remains because of the power of God. Often what we hope for and hope in, are, they're not bad things. They're just dying things. What God desires for us is a living hope. Let me illustrate it. There's a man who was raised in a broken family, and, and all of his life, he thought, as a young man, if I can just find the right girl, 
if I can get married, and if we can have children, and we can stay together, and we can have a family, then my soul will rest satisfied. And, and, and God blessed him. And he, he married a, 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 a great young lady, and, and God blessed them with children. But in the process, let me tell you what he found out. Once he got married, he found out that he hadn't really changed. His circumstances had changed. The things around him had changed. And he had been given some good things, but he discovered that his hope was diminished because it didn't bring with it any kind of new life. It was just an addition to his old life. It was just a better version of his old life. He realized that at his marriage ceremony, as they shared their vows, they, they said, until death do us part. And immediately his hope was diminished because he realized that one day he would lose what he was hoping in. There would be a death. There would be a separation. He realized within the first year that he and his new wife were both sinful. How shocking must that have been, right? And then they had children. And guess what? They were sinners too. And his hope was diminished because it was not undefiled. His hope was tainted with sin. Now, after years of marriage, he realized that he was not as strong as he used to be and that his, his wife was not as vibrant as she once was. And this discovery caused his hope to be diminished because he realized his hope was fading. He realized that his hope was failing. And then one day his children moved away. And a few years later, his wife passed away. And his hope was lost because it was not guarded for all of eternity. What he was hoping in and hoping for was a dying hope because it did not have the power to last. It was not a living hope. Hope that does not give a new life and that is not imperishable, undefiled, unfading, that is not being guarded, is a dying hope. Now, that doesn't mean the things that we hope in and hope for are necessarily bad things. A wife or a husband is not a bad thing. Children are not bad things. A job is not a bad thing. An education is not a bad thing. Power is not a bad thing. Prestige is not a bad thing. Pleasure is not necessarily a bad thing. Possessions are not necessarily a bad thing. The only thing about these is that they are not life-giving. They, they, are, they are imperishable. They are not undefiled. They are, they are not unfading. They are not guarded for eternity. They are good things, but they're passing away. They're not living. They're not lasting. What is great about living hope is not only is it all the things that Scripture says it is, but it has the power to take those good things and make them better. Because we don't put the weight of the eternal need of our soul on them. Instead, that weight rests on that which can sustain it, which is Christ alone. And when we place our faith, all that we are on Christ alone, we gain a living hope, a new life, something that is undefiled, that is imperishable, that is unfading, that is guarded for eternity. And it makes it makes those good things better. God has come to give us living hope. In our text today, we see what provides us with living hope. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me now to Romans chapter 5. And I'm going to ask the McNabb family to come up. 
And Jonathan's going to introduce his family and introduce our reader. But we are in Romans chapter 5. And we are going to be looking at verses 1 and 2 to understand to understand what living hope comes through. So Jonathan, if you would, introduce us to your family and let us know who's going to be reading for us today. All right. Um, glad to see that there is an 8 o'clock service. I was just living by faith. <laughs> um, but um, this is my family. This is my wife, Julia. This is Joseph, Hannah, Samuel, Elizabeth, and Rebecca. And Samuel's going to read the word for us. Awesome. Samuel, if you would, read verses 1 and 2 for us out of Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice and hope of the glory of God. Amen. Thank you, brother. You guys will be seated. Thank you all. Man, I was so excited I didn't even have you stand for the Word of God. He knows. He knows we know. It's holy. Living hope is, is powerful. And, and Christ came to give us living hope. And, and that's, friends, that's why we celebrate Christmas. But what does this living hope, what does it come through? Let's make sure that we all have it. Let's make sure that we're acting on these means. Now, what are these means? Our text spells it out really clearly. Take notes. If you would, look on the back of your bulletin. There's, there's a place for you to take notes. You can open up the app and, and, and you can and follow along there. But, but take notes of this. Living hope comes through, first of all, note the power of justification. The power of justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Justified. This is something that happens to us. This is a legal status. We are considered to be in right standing with God. Now, to say that we are now in right standing with God means that there was a point at which we weren't in right standing with God. And why? Was it because of something God did? No. Because of what we did. The problem with the world is not God, it is us. And because of our sin, we have contaminated this world and we have turned this world over to the enemy of God. We have linked arms with darkness and darkness now rules. That happened at the fall. But thank be to, thanks be to God, He now seeks to justify His own. And, and this justification, it, it, it comes through faith. Now faith, therefore since we have been justified by Faith. What is faith? Faith is something that we do in light of what God is and has done. It is an act of our will. It is a choice we make. It is something we do. It is based not only on facts, but also upon the feelings that are associated with those facts. We are moved by God. Not only mentally, but in, in, in our affections. Our hearts are warmed and we desire and so we choose. We choose faith. We choose to believe in grace. And this right response to Jesus is done with gratitude. We're thankful. Salvation only comes through a heart that is grateful for the grace that God has given and thereby moved to act in faith. Gratitude undoes what sin did. It leads us to faithfulness rather than rebellion. Francis Schaeffer said this, The beginning of man's rebellion against God was and is the lack of a thankful heart. Where does sin come from? The lack of a thankful heart. Where does real faith begin? In a grateful heart. 
who sees factually what God has done and is moved emotionally in response to who He is. In John chapter 17, go back and read it later, there's a story about ten men who have leprosy who come to Jesus and ask to be healed. And He heals them all. And He tells them what they are to do in order to make public what He has done. In order to make permanent what He has done. And then something strange happens. Verse 17 reads this this way. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner, that is, the Samaritan? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now the other nine enjoyed a physical healing, a good thing. But only one received what is best. A living hope. A living hope that comes through justification. Why was he justified? Because he was grateful. Because he saw the facts of who God was revealed in this person, Jesus Christ, the fact that this was God. And he came back and he worshipped him. Why did he worship him? Because of a grateful heart. That grateful heart led him to have faith. Where there is gratitude for grace, there is faith. Where there is faith, there is justification. And where there is justification, there is living hope. Second, this living hope, it comes through something that justification produces. It's it's, it's something powerful. It's peace. Living hope comes through the peace of reconciliation. It says here, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This peace is not only legal, like justification, it's personal. God no longer treats us as sinners. We are now members of His eternal family. There is a glorious peace that now exists because of the reconciliation, because of the forgiveness that God gives us. And this forgiveness has come at a great price. It's something that God pursued. Several years ago, a young couple came to see me. They were young professionals, and they were miserable. Someone had recommended them to me. They were not believers. And, and they came to talk to me about their marriage. And I, I immediately asked them, you know, why are you coming to see me? You're not, you're not believers. And they said, you know, we're desperate. And it's the funniest thing. They said, we love each other, but we despise each other. And I said, well, that's not a good marriage. I, I found out that one had been unfaithful, and the other one, in response to that unfaithfulness, had, had acted in, in a way that that didn't help things and, and was very hateful. And so they were a misery together. And I, and I asked them, you know, what are, what are some ways that you've come to realize how miserable you are? And they said, well, our dog. I said, what do you mean? They said, our dog is miserable. I said, why, why are we talking about your dog? And they said, well, we've come to realize that when we're in the same room together, the dog won't stay. He said, we are so miserable. There is so much hate that when we're in the room, it is so palpable that the dog leaves the room. Now, if it's just one of us, the dog will come and sit. But if we're both in the room, he's out of there. I said, you guys know you're very sick people. You've made a dog miserable. I can't imagine what has happened to yourself. They said, we know. So you know what? They came. I explained the gospel to them. And what I thought could not happen, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Luke 18, 27, they were both saved. 
they forgave one another. And so at our last counseling session that happened a couple of months after they'd done a lot of, of activities and, and, and had a marriage renewal, a lot of great things that had happened, I said, tell me some of the changes. And they were going through the changes. And finally she said, oh, and the dog will sit with us again. I think, how funny, how powerful. What, what it is that, that reconciliation does. See, where there is reconciliation, there's peace. And where there is peace, there is confidence. There is a freedom. And where there is confidence, there is living hope. Third, living hope comes through the purpose of transformation. It says in verse 2, Through Him we also we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Theologically, a person redeemed by grace by the grace of Jesus, is given new life in which we stand. We gain access to this grace by faith in Jesus. The grace that God gives through His death, burial, and resurrection is something that is only received by faith. We gain access to this grace by faith. An action that we choose with our will, having been moved in our minds and our affections. Now this grace, it does more than just justify us. It also sanctifies us. It changes us. That is to say, it transforms us into the image of Jesus. And this transformation is a product of two very important things. One, a new nature. Two, a new boss. When Christ, when Christ becomes your Lord, there's a power that is moving on you, that is beyond you, that is foreign to you. The Holy Spirit moves upon you, giving you a new heart and a new life and a new nature. Your sin nature is now taken away and you're given a new nature in Christ. The holiness of God lives inside of you with a new heart. Now, it doesn't change the challenges outside of us. That is, the world, the devil, and our flesh. But it does change our identity. When I came, uh, when I went into college, and something that a number of our, our college freshmen have come to realize, and that many of you graduates that are going into college, you will come to realize that there are two kinds of roommates in the world. There are clean ones and there are nasty ones. There are those who will clean their rooms and those who don't have any sense. And I was so thankful in my time, even though I would not say I'm, you know, over the top clean, you know, there was clean, you know, things there. And I was so grateful. And my, both of my college roommates, both of them were clean. It was always weird to go into the room, a dorm room of somebody where the, both of the roommates were nasty. The smell, right? You walk in and you say, what is that smell? I don't know, I don't smell anything. And you see clothes piled up and you see food piled up and you see all this stuff and you just tell them, you're nasty. What is funny is to watch a clean roommate with a nasty roommate and to watch them argue. Not only with one another, but back, you know, outside, you know, because what does the clean roommate say? Man, that guy, he's so gross. He's so nasty. She doesn't clean anything. And then to hear the other side, she is so uptight. She worries about every little thing that's in our room. To relax. And so you, you see this, this war that's going on. Sooner or later, the one roommate wins. Sooner or later, nasty wins or clean wins. 
We have to understand that we've been given a new nature, but we still have our old roommate, the flesh. And our new nature is clean. But our flesh is nasty. It's dirty. It desires what is contrary to the will of God. And over time, our lives will either become cleaner or dirtier. They won't stay the same. We must not allow circumstances of the flesh, desires of the flesh, the things of this world, the evil one, to, to drive us away from being what it is Jesus has made us to be with our new nature. When we obey Jesus, we find that we are becoming holy. And this is a part of what transforms us, but also it's not only our new nature, but our new boss. We have a new leader, Jesus Christ, who is influencing us with thoughts and feelings according to His Word, who is over us, guiding and, and determining our lives. And He is for us. He wants what is best for us. You know what's interesting? If you take two teams, you know, in the next few weeks, for those who like college football, and, and college basketball for that matter, and just about any sport really, there will be two teams that will come that will be somewhat evenly matched in terms of talent. The determination of the winner, the victory will go to the one who is best coached. There's a, there's a powerful thing that happens when you have a good coach because you have a good system, a process, a good communication with affirmation and accountability. And see, this is what Jesus gives us as our boss, as the ultimate coach. What does Jesus give us? He gives us a system. What does He call us to do as His redeemed children of God? He calls us to be members of a local family where we gather for worship, where we connect in groups, and where we serve His purpose. We gather for worship. It, it saddens my heart to know that many of our children who attend this church are not being trained to worship with a gathered body of believers. They're being taught to come to church, which is a good thing. But you know what is best? Is that they learn to worship with a gathered family. You know, I, I think about this often. If your family gathers every year for special times, just as the whole family... If you have a family member that never comes to that gathering, isn't there something in your mind that might tell you something's wrong? If they never want to gather with the whole family and to do what the whole family is doing, so it is with any child of God who's not gathering with the whole family. There's something that's not right. God calls us to gather and then connect in small groups where we face one another and we care for one another and we challenge one another and we pray with one another and then we serve. That is, we help more people anchor their life and hope in Jesus. So Jesus has this system. He has a process. It's called discipleship. It's where we faithfully walk through the system that He has given to us. And we have accountability. And the communication of affirmation is there. It's the Word and the Spirit. The Word of God tells us to do this. The Spirit of God challenges us to do this. And then within the church, with those who have membership in the church, there is accountability. And the result is transformation. Now again, it doesn't just happen because you walk through the system. Without Jesus, hear me, without a deep love for Jesus, all you're doing is going through the motions. And going through the motions does not produce the transformation that abides. We have been saved for a purpose. And that is to be holy. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Why? That we should be holy and blameless before Him. 
God's purpose is to bring transformation, to bring sanctification. And where there is transformation, there are signs of spiritual life. And where there are signs of spiritual life, there is assurance of faith. And where there is assurance of faith, there is living hope. Lastly, living hope comes through the promise of glorification. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. One day all these challenges will be gone. We will be with the Lord and life will be good. Until that time, we've got to keep our eyes on the prize. Until that time, we have to maintain our hope and know the victory is won. Christ has already come and conquered sin and death and one day He is going to restore all things. The championship has already been won. I don't know if you keep up with this, but it's always sad to me. Every year, it seems, there is a football team that wins the national championship, but there are, there are one or two players, for whatever reason, between the last game of the season and the championship game that get kicked off the team. And it's so sad. Because you think about all the work that they did, and they gave it up. Why? You know, I just want to sit down with them and I want to say to them, was it worth it? Was it worth whatever it is you did to miss out on all that was made available? No ring, no table. Is it worth it? And yet, you watch. There will be, between now and the bowl game or the championship, there will be players who will be kicked off their teams who will not abide, they will not remain, they will not continue, and they will miss the prize. In Christ, we have more than a national championship. We have heaven. In Christ, we, we have this weight of glory. and We've got to remain faithful. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 16, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, look at this description, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This light, momentary affliction, which is all of life's trials and temptations, is preparing us for an eternal life of blessing. This life is eternal. It gives us living hope. Our hope is not dying in Christ. Our hope is living It is guarded by the Almighty. God has given us a living hope. My question to you is, do you have it? Is He your hope? Or is your hope in a temporary thing? It may be a good thing. But if it's temporary... There's always going to be fear and anger and the worst things that come out of human beings. But when there's living hope, there's peace, there's joy, there's life, there's freedom. Do you have it? And are you sharing it? When you go about where you live, work, learn, and play, do you talk about your living hope? Or do you talk about your temporary hope? talk about your kids and your job and your sports team and the things that make you smile and laugh? 
Those are good things. Don't get me wrong. Are they the best thing? And are you talking about it? Now let me ask you. How many people do you know that you're in a relationship with where you, where you can really talk? How many people do you know that do not have living hope? Who are living hopeless lives? And are currently facing a hopeless eternity? Let me ask you, what are you talking with them about? Movies? Statistics? Economy? Politics? Friends, God has given us living hope to share, to live. Do you have it? Are you sharing it? Are you praying it for other people? God, it's time for a change. It's time for you to receive this living hope. It's time for you to live for this living hope. It's time for you to make it known. And I want to invite you to do that today. So let's stand together and let's pray. Father God, right now I pray that eyes are being opened and minds are being changed and, and hearts are being moved to say, you know what? My life has a lot of good things, a lot of bad things, but I need the best thing. I need eternal life. I need that which is undefiled and guarded, permanent, living. I pray that some today will come and get on their knees and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin and take over my life. Give me that new nature and make me whole that my hope will be living. For some today who need to come and say, God, forgive me because I've made, I've made my life about things that are temporary. I, I talk about temporary things all the time. I never talk about living hope. I never talk about all that you've done. I talk about things that will be forgotten one day. Father, for some, they, they are mindful that they have shared, and they're mindful of some who are in desperate need, and, and some are mindful that they haven't shared, but Lord, we all know folks who are dying because they don't have living hope. And Lord, maybe today you would call some to get on their knees and to bring their name before the throne of grace and ask you to do what only you can do, which is save. Because what is impossible with man is possible with you, God. So may we, with confidence, now sing praise to you, confessing you're our cornerstone, and then asking you to do what you alone can do. In Jesus' name, amen.